Hello, and welcome to Workle's Happiness Podcast. I'm Mark Price, the founder of Workle, a platform designed to help everybody get happier at work. I used to be the boss of Waitrose and the deputy chair of the John Lewis Partnership, and it's there that I began my interest in how we work and how being happier at work can not only transform an individual's life, but transform an organisation. On this podcast, I find out how happy people really are at work and discuss what steps they take to get happier. Hello, I'm delighted, in fact thrilled, that on this edition of the Workplace Happiness Podcast, I'm talking to Esther Stanhope, aka the Impact Guru. Now, as most of you will know, uh, Esther has a career in uh, the BBC as a producer. Uh, She was also a celebrity interviewer. She's an international speaker. She's a presenting expert and she's a business author. She has done so much. Uh, Esther, welcome to the Workplace Happiness Podcast. Hello, Mark. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today. Now, everybody will want to know how you get into the world you've got into. It's so exciting. First, you were in the media and then you've set up your own business and now you help people present better and uh, you've written books. So where did this all start? When you were at school, did you think you'd have the career that you'd had? Well, it's funny because when I was at school, I never felt as if I I was clever or I never felt as if I was good enough. And I didn't think I was going to go to Oxford or anything like that because my brother, Harry, my older brother actually was a child genius. And so he was very, very clever and he was academically brilliant. So I always thought, well, Harry's going to go to Oxford. He's going to have a proper career <laughs> and I don't think I'm going to be able to do that so so the funnily enough I I think that when I look back on my career now now I, I mean I'm semi-dyslexic which we can go into later if you want but the, the fact is I never felt as if I was going to be an author or, or a successful business person when I was at, at school but by the one thing I really really was fascinated by and the one thing I knew I was interested in was TV and making TV and being the person actually behind the scenes. A lot of my friends wanted to be on Blue Peter. Being a Blue Peter presenter was the big, the one career that everybody wanted to do when I was at school. And yet I was the one that wanted to be the person that came up with Tracy Island. I wanted to be the person that was make that came up with all the behind the scenes stuff, but I had no guidance and I had absolutely no idea what media was, what getting into the media was, what you had to do um, about careers. I had no idea about um, getting into that sort of world. So I made lots of mistakes and, you know, tried lots of different things. <laughs> All I can so say how, is... So how did you get into it? What, what did you do? Because there'll be people listening to this saying, oh, I'd love to go work in the media. Um, what happened? Well, all I can say is, so so I was actually very good friends with a friend of mine was actually Neil Kinnock's daughter, Rachel. She was one of my friends at school and and he was and Neil Kinnock at the time was the Labour leader. And he and that was, you know, that was that was during Maggie Thatcher's time. So he was quite high profile. And I I never, ever wanted to go into politics, though, when I gosh, although it was very there was lots of glamour and we were invited to lots of places and I got to him. Uh, meet lots of celebrities at a young age of age nine or ten 
it really put me off politics. <laughs> I thought I would, I would hate to be a politician. However, I did get a taste of the of what it was like behind the scenes and, and we would go to various concerts and things i was actually in, in the tracy allman video um when i was about nine years old and we got to kind of actually go on a film set and i think that really gave me well, I, I looked around and i i never thought i would be able to be in showbiz but i i was fascinated by people that were creating the world, the world that we could see on our screens. And I suppose that was always really on my mind. I wanted to pursue um, drama and media and, and, I, and I suppose, and I knew I was in, you know, a creative person and I, I, I was really good at storytelling and coming up with ideas, but I had no idea how to go about it. So all I, so from, from a young age, from age nine, 10, 11, I, I always volunteered for any sort of project, anything that was going on that was to do with filmmaking or um, when, I, you know, when I was at school, it was drama, that sort of thing. I always, always put myself forward and did holiday, holiday courses and things like that. And I think for talking to young people, doesn't matter how old you are actually, if you are interested in something, go and immerse yourself in it. Um, go and speak to people that are in that industry, go and try stuff out, go and shadow somebody, go and buy somebody a cup of coffee. And that is how you get into an industry, is that you doggedly pursue people, the environment, any opportunity that's there, you you grab it. And you have to do a lot of, I, I again, I was very misguided. And, and so I did probably too much for no money, but you have to shadow people and go and do a lot of work that's unpaid to get yourself in the right position and to get the knowledge. And where did you do that work, Esther? So I was lucky enough that, you know, I, if you tell people what you're into, so, you know, I was lucky enough to be able, I knew a few people that knew a few people that knew a few people. So when I said, I really want to work at the BBC, because I thought the BBC was absolutely the place. And so, you know, a friend or a friend said, oh, I know they do a work experience scheme. So I said, who knows, who knows? Dan, Dan's dad works there or something. I was like, give me Dan's number. Where's Dan? I'm going to go and talk to Dan's dad. And I think I... That was how I, I just pursued any opportunity. So I got work experience and bits and pieces like that. Um, but the big break was when, um, and I think if you if you try enough avenues, one is going to open up for you because you know it's the law of numbers, right? So the first proper opportunity was um, somehow I got hold of the phone the phone number for Virgin Radio, which was um, now I think it's Absolute Radio, um, but at the time it was Virgin Radio and it was a um, work experience at Virgin Radio. So of course I thought, oh great, it's in, um, in, in town. I lived in West London at the time. That's where, I, that's where I went to school. Went to Virgin Radio for this work experience. And I was lucky enough to work on a show called Alive in London. And it had a couple of presenters. One of them was called Roland Rivron. So I literally worked for nothing. I worked for a sandwich and a train ticket. And, and then the producer, Diana went on holiday and the woman that came in to sit in for her was Carol McGiffin and she was at the time the ex-wife of Chris Evans and it was a big scandal but Carol McGiffin who's in who was on Loose Women um she came on and she, she and I was a spare person in her team 
I, I mean, I didn't know I had to tell her, oh, I'm on work experience, I'm lonely, I'm nothing. She was like, can you use a recorder? Can you take the microphone? Go and, go and interview people on the street. Go and get Vox Pops. I was like, Vox Pops, what's Vox Pops? And it just means interviewing people. And I just remember she sent me out to interview people. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm so ambitious and, and keen to please. So I came back with all these great interviews and she's like, you were quick. That was good. OK, and go and interview Lenny Kravitz. He's at the Rock Circus in Covent Garden. Go there now. I need, I need the audio back in an hour. So I was like, oh, running to Covent Garden, I had to go and interview Lenny Kravitz, the rock star. Um, and then by the end of the week, I think someone said, you know, she's on work experience. <laughs> and she'd sent me out to these really high profile interviews. And so in a way, it was by chance. I was I was in the right place at the right time. And then I got a job off the back of it because, you know, I learned how to do it. And then in terms of um, paying for your life, you must have done other jobs at the same time, did you? Oh, my goodness. I mean, I, I don't even want to give you my list of terrible jobs I've done. I, I, I mean, I've worked in clothes shops. I worked at Monsoon at one point. I've worked in cafes, in restaurants. I also did, um, I used to work for Capital Radio. Uh, no, uh, Classic FM. Oh, I've worked for Capital Radio as well at, at one point. But um, the jobs that I was getting paid for were in and around my free job. <laughs> I think I had four jobs at one point. Um, one of them was pay, playing classical music down the phone to Classic FM customers. <laughs> you know, so I've done a whole range of, of jobs. I, I always used to um, try and get flexible jobs when I was trying to, you know, make it in the media. Eventually I did get a, a job though. I got a job as a showbiz reporter and I actually did have to interview celebrities every day. And that was unique broadcasting and that was um, owned by Noel Edmonds. Um, and that was in, um, near Edgware Road, the studio there. And you, you've interviewed some amazing people, haven't you, over your time? Anyone who was anyone between 1996 to 1997, I interviewed them because I was doing entertainment news and it was for Capital Radio and for GWR Radio Group at the time. And so we, we had to get as many audio clips of celebrities as we possibly could and we'd send them out. We'd probably have to gather, you know, 12 clips a day and we would try to get as many original sound bites um by the way a sound bite is anything from eight seconds <laughs> um we tried to get all these um we tried to gather all this material and it was radio so i'd be sent out and sometimes i would i might go to for example in one day i could interview sharon stone because casino the film was out maybe the teletubbies launch so i went to the teletubbies launch lunch and they serve champagne and then you've got to talk about teletubbies um, for an hour um, and then you might go to an, an evening premiere where you're actually on the red carpet with the paparazzi and you haven't got a slot and you're there jostling with all the other media trying to get your interview and most of the time it was a little bit like that scene from Notting Hill when Hugh Grant's at the hotel <laughs> and you're waiting your queue in the press junket and and for those people listening now who are thinking, oh, I quite like the idea of being uh, uh, the interviewer um, of all these celebrity types, what advice would you give them? The advice, if you want to be an interviewer, I mean, it's very different now. I mean, when people say to me how, you know, I want to be a presenter or I would like to be a YouTuber or I'd like to be on screen. I mean, the difference now is do it. You can just 
do it. You can go out. What is stopping you going out with an iPhone? You can get a little rack with a phone and, and a microphone and a, and a light. You can, you can get really good quality semi-pro equipment and you can go out and become a YouTuber like that. But the thing is, is if you really want to do something, you will do it. But do you really want to do it? Like, what is it about that that you want to do? Because the one thing about, you know, creating a business and I, and I you know, now I run my own business. Um, and I love it. It's great. And I and I speak at events all over the world. And now I'm speaking at virtual events all over the world. However, it involves a lot of elbow grease, a lot of hard work, quite a lot of knockbacks. Um, and you've got to be resilient. So what I would say is if you really, really want to do something, find your niche, find what you really love, find what you're really good at, what you're really interested in. And if you really do want to be, I mean, I, a lot of my career actually um, wasn't on screen and I, and I wasn't that comfortable actually as a presenter and on screen. I was comfortable interviewing. I was comfortable getting the best out of my interview interviewees and my celebrities that I had to interview. But actually at the time when I, in my twenties, I wasn't very confident. So I, for, for more than 20 years, I actually was much more comfortable personally being the producer, creating the environment for the talent to shine. It wasn't really till I set my own business up, I realized that in, in order to grow my business and to help people to, to be fantastic presenters and to and, and now in business it's people that present and pitch for business in order to spread my tips and in order to spread the magic I realized I had to be in the spotlight so all those fears that I had you know in my 20s kind of came back to haunt me in a way but all I can say is I have gone out of my comfort zone and I have learnt all the tips and I know all the theory and it's very easy to speak in theory like oh yeah you just you know make videos you just you know set yourself up on YouTube um, and I have felt the sensation of, of feeling embarrassed having imposter syndrome you know the feeling that you're not good enough and and I felt all those things and 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 I realized oh my goodness I it's funny because I've been helping people all my life to be brilliant I've been helping people to have confidence I've been giving them tips and I know all of the all the techniques that you need to be brilliant on air, on radio, to have a good voice, to have a good story. And yet, you know, I had to do it myself and it's hard. And it's, and it's a confidence, it's a confidence piece. It's the inner confidence that you have to grow. And, and I felt so strongly about this feeling of the, my fear of public speaking and having to overcome that to speak at a conference. Um, because I really struggled with with having an audience in front of me. I, I just did not feel comfortable with it. And um, I felt so strongly about the pain that I put myself through that I wrote a book about it. And but it's really good because I'm helping people with their glossophobia, the fear of public speaking. Um, and now I'm able to articulate it and, I, and I'm able to write. I've written a book about it and I, and I won an award for my book, which is incredible, really, because I know that I'm semi dyslexic. <laughs> And before we come to that book and we we get those tips from you, which everybody yeah. will want to know, yes. um, let's just talk a little about how you built the experience to do that. Because you obviously at a very young age were kind of encouraged to go out and do these interviews and you learnt on the job. But also you were a producer at the BBC and you used to produce live programmes. Yeah. So 
So what was that like? That must be incredibly pressurised and nerve-wracking. Yes, I mean, uh, I, I, I suppose I didn't realise myself, I wasn't really self-aware to realise what it was that I was actually doing, what, how, why was it that I had this skill to operate in a high octane live environment, which is quite scary. A lot of people, they hate live because a live show, it literally is, you know, it's, it's a bit like working. <laughs> it's not like saving lives clearly, but it's a bit like working in A&E where it's happening live. You have to make decisions incredibly quickly. And some people just are not cut out for that. And, and I've thrived in, in, and I thrive in a live environment. I really enjoyed the, I didn't get stressed when it was live. I somehow managed to work with the material in front of me. And because I, because I, it just suited my personality. I think what I've realized now when I pick it apart in order to help people speak with confidence and, and pitch with confidence and work a room live, now I can articulate what you know what you need in order to, to be able to to engage your audience. I, I, I think that, that personally it just suited my personality type because I quite like that the show must go on, you know, whatever happens, we will survive. <laughs> it's kind of like this, you know, like what have we got in front of us and making it up and winging it and busking it. Uh, there's definitely two types of, of people, two types of presenter I've found personally. And now I know a lot more about myself and now I know how to spot other people's personality type. It's so much easier to be able to give them tips and advice. So the, the two main things that I, I learned, the two types of presenter that, I, that I've learned to work with is that you either get a planarina or a wing it wonder type. <laughs> So, and, and the, the trick is, is it, you know, if you're a planarina, you like to plan, you like to script, you like to know everything in advance, you like to read through all the material, you don't really like to have a curved ball, you don't really like Q&A, the question and answer section so much, you don't like to wing it. And that's fine. And I've learned that a lot of my clients that work in business are, are planarina types. So I remember when, you know, Theresa May used to come in regularly when she was, um, when she wasn't prime minister she was coming to the bbc regularly she was a planarina <laughs> that's no no surprise right she did not want to go off piste she wanted to be briefed she wanted to stick to the questions she would not answer a question that wasn't already <laughs> ticked off her list so when we asked her so how about your kitten heels then theresa may she would go i'm not here to talk about fashion i'm here to talk about policies <laughs> She would not budge from her script. Um, and as, as an expert now who helps people to engage their audience, I would say as an expert, you know, I, I, I admire Theresa May's strength, stable, solid strength. However, the fact that she was a planarina and that she wouldn't flex did go against her because she, she wasn't able to flex. She wasn't, able, she wasn't agile. So my tip for if you're a planarina type and you like a script, don't beat yourself up it's brilliant however what i would my advice there would be plan flexibility plan to play the moment have sections in your presentation in your speech in your script actually add into your script you know you can at the time you will make an observation here you'll make something up on the day you'll make it topical and you have to plan some flexibility um so um i was also 
regularly producing shows where, say, for example, when Boris Johnson was mayor of London, he'd come in every month and we'd do mayor's question times. Now, Boris Johnson, he'd come in on a bike sometimes, knock over a few cameras, <laughs> literally like boom, boom, choo, choo, choo. and then he'd be like, ho, ho, ho. and I would call him a wing it wonder. <laughs> He'd come in, he literally wouldn't know what studio he was in. He wouldn't remember the presenter. He wouldn't know anything. He would go, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we? And you'd brief him. You'd have literally 29 seconds until live on air to brief him while he walked from the door of the studio, put his headphones on, sat at the mic. And, and during that 29 seconds, you just hold up the front page of the Daily Telegraph and go, that's the front page of the Daily Telegraph. Strictly Come Dancing is the number one programme you're talking about housing. This is what's happening. Go. And that that was all the prep he wanted. That's all the and he was absolutely um he just wanted to wing it. He didn't want to have any information until he was actually live on air almost. Now that's fine if it's not, you know, you're not talking about things around, you know, if you're number 10 around that table, you're in the crisis table, you probably need to know a bit more. <laughs> information so my tip for wing it wonders and i'm more of a wing it wonder myself but my tip there is fine wing it but make sure that you're prepped you know you can you know read through your materials and you can be brilliant but you need to have a really you need to have a safe foundation so you can wing it in within your running order so you can set up your your script without any words in the script but you absolutely know what you're going to do what, what you're going to what your intention is, what your message is, what your stories are going to be. But within those, those sections, you can go crazy, but you must give yourself um, boundaries and, uh, you know, you've got to give yourself a, a good running order. So, so, uh, and so I work with those, with those two types of people regularly and, and, and I can spot it immediately. So Mark, what do you think you are? Uh, I, uh, I, I think because of my business background, I, I'm more of a planner, but I, I um, <laughs> because I know things very well, I can on occasion wing it. Um, yeah. So uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not quite sure. Um, it's good if you're a bit of both, actually. So <laughs> uh, Probably I'm a bit of both. Uh, but, but what you're, um, what you're talking about, uh, your career, makes me think is, you were clearly very successful interview. You are a very successful interview. Um, you were a very successful producer. What was it that gave you a light bulb moment that said, you know what, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to set up my own business and I'm going to help people develop these skills, whether they're a planarina or, or they're a winger. Um, and I'm going <laughs> to help people who are... Um, in business, I'm going to help people who want to be presenters. So what what was it? What was that moment that made you think, you know what, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to set up my own business. I definitely think that I, I've worked in, in television before the BBC and and I and I definitely think that really I've I actually really enjoy business, but I don't think I knew what it meant to, to grow a business, to start a business. I didn't know it, I didn't really have people around me. That were that were in business, and um, and I'm quite a, a results-driven person. That's again my personality type. But I didn't really know that. Um, so there was just a moment at the BBC, and I remember I knew that there was something more. I knew that I, I had something more to offer. 
I just felt as if I was a bit different. I wasn't, I didn't, you know, I was making shows. I love making shows. Really, really enjoyed working um, in the media and in, in, at the BBC. However, I kind of thought there must be something else. There must be something else. And it's not just financial. It's just a goal, some, some, other, some other calling. I could feel it. And I remember one day um, an agent came in with one of his authors and he said to me, could I have a chat with you? He said, look, I've got this author. He's completely dull. Can you give him a personality? And I went and I went, Shh. he went, don't tell anyone, this is a secret. He goes, can you give this guy a personality? <laughs> and I thought for a moment, I thought, yes, I can. <laughs> he said, look, I'll give you the money. You can take a day, give me a, tell me how much time you need. What, what equipment do you need? Like, I'll just tell me what you need. I'll, I'll pay the money. You can hire a, you know, one of the juniors in the, in the newsroom or whatever. Anyway, so, and, and I thought, oh gosh, do I tell my boss? Anyway, I told my boss, I said, look, I'm going to take a day off. I'm actually going to spend a day helping this guy because he's, he's really bad. <laughs> he needs a personality. Anyway, it turned out that um, he was, he had a, he, he had a medical, he could had access to a clinic up in Harley street, which was quite near where, um, the BBC Broadcasting House was. Anyway, so I, I hired some of the work experience and one of the junior camera people from, from the news, because they were freelance. I said, look, can you take a day off? Could you, could, I, could you bring a camera and a TV so we can watch it back, microphone, blah, you know, bring the equipment. Anyway, so I created this day of help, helping this guy. Anyway, the guy, I'm not going to mention his name, um, but in, just in case, <laughs> at the beginning of the day, you know, he just had no, he, well, he had no personality. He didn't have a clue, didn't know what to do with himself. By the end of the sessions, and I got him doing all kinds of things, going out, interviewing people on the street. I got him jumping up and down, making noises. I got him telling stories. I got him holding the microphone. I got him looking in the camera. I, got, I was interviewing him. I got him doing all kinds of things. Within a few hours, he was actually really good he was brilliant but the thing the thing the thing that made me feel so the, the light bulb moment for me and the moment that changed my life really was the reward that that feeling of it was so rewarding for me and I was like this guy I've helped this guy go from zero to hero in a matter of hours it really works. Whatever I've done, and I made, you know, I, I've got formulas now. I know how to articulate, how to go, you know, my four-step guide, my triple A formula, my Q&A formula. I've got every formula. I've got my lens formula. My, I've got all these formulas now because I know how to quickly get people to be, I, go, I know how to go on a journey from really rubbish to really brilliant really quickly with certain formulas that do work for most people. But on that day, I put together, you know, I just use my instincts and I just thought, oh, this is so good. This works. This guy went from, he could barely speak. He was almost had a speech impediment with, you know, anxiety. And it wasn't just an anxiety thing. It was a whole, he wasn't being himself essentially. And then I was helping him really to kind of loosen up and be himself and just you know, tell a story and be authentic. And, you know, I mean, I, I, that word is overused now, but it was just, it, it, there was a transformation. And, you know, the guys practically crying, we're hugging. <laughs> but it was, it was then I thought, wow, this could really work outside, you know, producing a show. I could really help people. And then I've got a couple of people, a lawyer, I had a friend that worked in a, in a global professional services 
firm and I told him I said I'm thinking about leaving the BBC to set up my own business to help people exactly as I help the, the guy and it's all about how to you know it's all about personal impact and presentation and pitching and things like that and and two people that I knew in business just said my team need that you should be speaking to female lawyers you should be speaking to data analytics experts you should be speaking to actuaries you should be speaking to the, the chartered institute of taxation you should be speaking to accountants like you need to be helping these people and and then then i i did my work experience and did a few experiments in business and that's how i started my business and was that quite a scary step leaving the employment of the bbc to set your own business up or did you find it quite um, uh, invigorating? I've got to say, I I love it. I loved it there. I still I've got I still got a lot of friends there. Um, it's really scary. It's like jumping off a cliff. However, when I talk to people, we call us when I meet a fellow escapee <laughs> from the BBC. It's like it was like having golden handcuffs, you know. Because if you are at the BBC, it's like you can't leave. You've got a job, a proper job, a grown-up job, and you've got a pension at the BBC. Um, and it's, it is like having golden handcuffs. And I think if I'd overthought it, I probably wouldn't have, I wouldn't have uh, jumped. However, I don't regret one moment. I don't regret it at all because it was like having, having the golden handcuffs taken off and I really felt like I could fly. I thought, and I, and I had to make this work. And I, I knew there was something in me that was something driving me to make this work. And I, 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 it's not easy, but I do love running my own business. I love it. I really love working with clients. I, I really also it's my own personality type. And that's a really good piece of advice. Like know yourself. What do you like? I actually really, really like having lots of clients going into clients offices and speak to them or online finding out what their problems are working very closely with the pitch team really working out what how they're going to sell their firm and getting getting quite close to them but then moving on to another project which could be you know a, a client engagement session or it could be a juniors um tobo charging their career it could be somebody's speech it could be a hundred people wanting to find how they can do better remote meetings I like variety and I like making up, um, I like creating the environment for people to thrive. So for me personally, being able to make my own decisions and, and create my book, create my programs, create my speeches and my masterclasses, um, it, it's, it's given me the freedom to be able to do that. But that suits me, it's my personal thing. So I, I, I think I've found my groove. I'm, I'm good at it. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to do it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. And I get paid well for it. <laughs> That's your groove. In, in addition to doing all of that, Esther, what's so incredible is that you obviously speak internationally. You're regularly on the TV. Um, during lockdown, you sort of um, uh, turned your attention to how people use Zoom and uh, social media now to communicate. And you've you've written uh, glossophobia to help people. Um, so so tell us about that because I know that when you were at school you were semi dyslexic and uh, you felt that that helped your presenting uh, skills and capabilities. 
but but tell us about writing. Why did you decide to write the book, and how did you find the process of writing it? That that's a very good question because I never ever thought that I was um, a writer. Um, okay, so another really big tip, and this is a career tip for everyone. I did get a business coach to help me. So I, when I set my own business up, it, you, you know, I didn't really know what to do. And, and I was it, it was, it was going quite well. I got some clients and I was feeling my way around. But then when I got a business coach and she is, her name's Kim Duke, she's actually Canadian. And we used to conduct our sessions via WebEx, um, which is brilliant because that kind of gave me an excellent foundation into this whole virtual world. But Kim Duke said, you gotta start writing. That's that's my Canadian accent, by the way. You gotta write it down. You gotta start writing. You gotta start having articles and blogs. And you know, because you're you're a content creator. And I said, right, I, I can't write. I can't spell. <laughs> She's like, you write. I'll edit you. So having help. So the the big tip there is. Writing isn't about writing. That's a great revelation. Writing isn't about writing. Writing is about expressing yourself. Writing is about having an idea. Writing is like, it could be a journal. You, you know, you write, you know, anyone can write. You, you can literally write without being a writer. And I'm not a writer. I didn't think I was a writer. And Kim was absolutely right in terms of just get your ideas down. And I, I used to come up with 12 stories a, a day for when, when I did the breakfast show, when I've been doing radio shows and breakfast shows and things like that. You're coming up with content all the time. One, and that's one of the things that I was quite good at, but I never thought I could write. So, so a couple of things. One is you don't have to be a writer to be a writer. You have to write stuff down and to create a book and, 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 and to create anything. So my big um, dare, if, you know, if you're listening to this now, write it down. Get your thoughts down and get somebody to edit you. Get somebody to help you. Get help. So the help could be in the form of a, a peer, a colleague, a friend, a mentor. Um, and, and it's really important though, it is your responsibility. If you want to do something, if you wanna post on LinkedIn or get an article on something, it's your responsibility to get that done. It's not the person who's helping you. It's not their responsibility. They're just there to kind of be, to bat ideas off or to edit you or to, to help you with ideas or guide you. But um, having a relationship with somebody where they're really, really helping you and questioning you and, and possibly even pushing you out of your comfort zone a bit, is, it's, a, it's a really, really important part of growing in your career. If I hadn't got the, and I didn't realise how much that would change my business and my, my confidence and my ability to, to get a book I mean I never thought I would I would get a book published and then I won an award the short highly highly commended award for the short business book of the year <laughs> and, and Esther if people uh read uh glossophobia what yeah. will they get from it how will it help them well this is a, a, a small pocket-sized book that fits in your pocket or handbag <laughs> um and for men or women and I'll tell you what, this is what you'll get from it. It has got easy, easy tips. How do I do it? How do I speak? How do I get over my rash? Um, how do I have a better voice? How do I start? How do I tell a story? How do I engage my audience? 
and and it's got th tips from Barack Obama, tips from fellow speakers. It's got really simple things. How do I stand? What do I do with my hands? What do I do with my eyes? How, what do I do with my body language? Is it important? Simple, quick, easy, practical tips. And it's got lots of illustrations in it too and graphics. And some of my very high profile clients in, you know, in banking and in law, you know, some of the very high profile clients say, oh, it hasn't got many words. I'm definitely going to read it. <laughs> And, and um, I might have got this wrong, but but is the paraphrase something like "do it, power pose, and um, smile"? Yeah. Look, if you if you actually want some tangible tips to be better at presenting on camera immediately, look at the camera, eyes and teeth, smile. And that will be those are my two tips. Look at the camera and smile, and stand well. Yeah, the power pose is. The, the beginning is the foundation of your owning your space and owning your owning your your space both mentally and physically so the power pose as in get your shoulders back look at that camera smile breathe and you'll be better immediately <laughs> that's brilliant everybody listening i'm sure now will head to a mirror uh, put their shoulders back shoulders look back directly at themselves and smile Yes, absolutely. And I've got loads of tips in the book. I've literally got hundreds of tips. So if you want to um, ask me and if you want to get in, in touch with me or get do or get involved with any of my tips um, and learn more, you can go to my website, estherstanhope.com. And it's very clear for everybody listening to that, this to, to hear that you're happy in what you do. Have you always been happy in your jobs or are there some jobs you've done that have not been as great as others? I think it's about people. I think it doesn't really matter what job you're in. If you get on with the people and you have a purpose, you'll, you'll enjoy it. I've always, always had my own rule, my life rule, my personal rule, which is if you don't like something, leave. <laughs> or if you don't like something, change move do something um if you don't like if you feel wrong if it's toxic and and you're never going to get on with everybody all of the time but um so so i think i i've really really enjoyed all of the jobs that i've done in my whole life i mean i enjoyed selling encyclopedias door to door in australia <laughs> when i was 19 um because there was a whole bunch of us selling encyclopedias and we, it was crazy um, and I really enjoyed that job because it, it okay it wasn't the, it, I, I didn't actually enjoy the actual act of knocking on doors <laughs> but I enjoyed the environment at the time it's it served its purpose because I was traveling around Australia um, so I, I, I think that you've got to you know you you are in control of your career and you know I, I, I think it's very sad if people aren't happy in, in their job. And then if you if you ask somebody, well, why aren't you happy? And it's like, oh, well, because of this and because of this. So well, why don't you leave then? Why don't you move on? And then there's always an, you know, oh, I can't because, you know, I'm getting paid or whatever. And I always kind of promised myself that I, would, I wouldn't ever be stuck somewhere. Um, I think also, I, you know, I, I have got ants in my pants personally. So I, I think for me to be stuck and feeling trapped 
I just I don't think I would survive. <laughs> so I haven't really waited long enough, and you know I haven't waited long enough to feel trapped because I um, I've always thought actually I need to do something about this. I need to change. Um, I need to change this. And I know that you've taken the workplace happiness test uh, oh, on yes. Workall. Um, so how did you score out of the hundred? I was eighty-six percent. Is is that good? Wow. That, well, that's very high. I, I suspect it's much higher than other people that um, that work in your line of work. Well, it hasn't. It didn't have my exact industry, so I did put entertainment and media for the for the industry. Yeah. But apparently, I am eighteen percent more, eighteen uh, percent happier than most people in my industry. Um, it doesn't surprise me at all. I would say the only thing is, is because I am my own boss, actually, I can be quite a nasty boss. So when it said, you know, do you know what's going on? And does your boss tell you this? And do you get feedback? Sometimes, actually, I'm quite mean to myself. <laughs> and so it was really good doing the test, because I realized I am a boss and I and I ha and I set my goals and I'm I'm quite fierce with my my KPIs and, and my own feedback and my appraisal time. And I do, because I've had the help in the past, I've had a coach, you know, I, I do make sure that I, I'm looking at my targets and I'm checking in on myself. And then I think, actually, I'm not very nice to myself. <laughs> and and you know, it make you reflect on, on any aspect of your current working life, maybe to be nicer to yourself. I think it's a really good, it's an excellent um, exercise to do the happiness test because also I do work in, with organisations now that are dealing with teams and a lot of teams that are working from home and people are, a lot of my clients are finding how can we keep our team happy, how can we keep people engaged, how can we keep people motivated and it's, it is difficult in this new normal i'm calling it the next normal because that's what i'm focusing on now the next normal it is more difficult to keep people happy and together and engaged when they're not meeting every day in person so and it's my quest to keep everyone tuned in connected and thinking of new ideas of how to do that and how has some um, covid and the lockdown affected your working life i mean obviously as a speaker, international speaker, it's not been easy to do that. Conferences aren't happening. So how, how have you adapted over the last six, seven months? Well, I've got to say, like everyone else in March, I do remember March the 12th, looking down at my phone as I was walking to my final live gig that I didn't know was gonna be the final one that day. And my phone was going beep, beep, and it was cancel, the event's cancelled, tomorrow's cancelled, next week's every single gig that I had in March was cancelled, like the live gigs. And it was International Women's Day in March, and it is every March. Um, and I, it was my busiest time of year. And I literally, I mean, if I could plot on a graph, okay, literally it would, it would say, sales end, boom, like my business finished on March the 12th. Although obviously I got, you know, cancellation fees, etc. But in terms of my actual business, it was like, it's finished. But that day, I had a chat with one of my fellow um, coach speaker friends. And she said, well, but you're from the BBC, you're from broadcasting. This is what you do. You do video, you do virtual um, speaking and virtual, the, the virtual world anyway. You know, just change everything, just just do everything virtually. And so I, uh, that, that was another light bulb moment. I suddenly thought, oh, 
I need to change everything to remote virtual video camera. So I set my, I'd already set up this mini studio in my house um, and it's very cheap and cheerful. And I do, that's another um, tip actually, just get some cheap and cheerful equipment. So you look half decent when you're on camera. I'd already kind of semi set myself up already, but um, I thought, right, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna buy lights. I'm gonna get a better mic. So I've got this boom mic here, you can see. Um, I'm just going to go for it and I'm just going to I'm just going to do everything virtual and help people um, with all the skills that I've been helping people with for more than 20 years. And so I'm, so I did manage to pivot. That was the, that was the buzzword. I managed to pivot my business from live to virtual. Um, but I, I, there was a moment of. Oh, dear. What am I going to do? <laughs> no, this is awful. Uh, well, I mean, what shines through is your resilience, your creativity, your entrepreneurial nature, uh, and just your great good humour and uh, and passion. Uh, and uh, uh, it's no surprise that you've sailed through uh, the COVID crisis and, and adapted to a new world. Well, I'm um, so glad, Mark, that it, it comes across like that. <laughs> well, it does. It looks effortless. Esther. Yeah, it looks effortless, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and a, couple of questions if I can to to finish um we always ask people what piece of music when they hear it makes them feel happiest oh well I mean my the, the most obvious one is happy talky talky happy talk da, da, da. talk about things you'd like to do and it's got to be the captain sensible 1980 two version I think it is 1982 you've got to have a dream if you don't have a dream how you gonna have a dream come true and I can't sing <laughs> well you can I thought that was remarkably good and what were you doing then what were you doing in 82 yeah so I would have been about 10 and I would have been wearing my hair my hair was probably a bit spiky and I was probably started liking Madonna and I had ripped up bits of lace around my wrists and and I used to wear odd socks that were luminous yellow and pink <laughs> and then and then the very last question Esther is if you were to encourage somebody to take the workplace happiness test who, who would you encourage to do it and why um it, would it be an individual or a team it can be anybody wow well I I, I think I think teams should do it. I think people should do it. And because the interesting thing about it is being able to compare the results, right? The interesting thing about the happiness test is to see, and I think it's really important. And I can imagine that you do it more than once because surely you're going to be happy. You might be happy in November, but come April, what's the world like, you know? Um, so I, I would I would encourage teams to do it. Definitely, I, I think people in, all the people I work with, all my clients in, in financial services, um, I work a lot with a lot of people in asset management and in property and people are in remote offices. I think it's really important to, to keep people connected and get them thinking about their happiness levels um, all over the world. So tell me, if you were to go back to those uh, interviewing days at the BBC and um, Theresa May and Boris Johnson coming in, if they both took the happiness test, which of them do you think would be happier? 
I think Theresa May would definitely be happier right now. I think when she was prime minister, she wouldn't have been happy. And I think Boris Johnson, I think he, he would probably come. I think I think his happiness levels have possibly gone down. Um, well, he had COVID-19. He must have been pretty unhappy then. He, he must be really, really hard that the, having that particular job. And, um, you know, being being around politicians when I was very young, it was it's a really, really tough gig being a politician. You, there's no sleep. I mean, it was, you know, I mean, I remember I remember going into the House of Parliament once when I was a kid and they had little beds in their offices because they used to sleep because they, they didn't go home because they used to work and just have a couple of hours sleep and get up and work. So um, and I think. What another great life tip. I don't know whether this helps with your presenting and your confidence, but it certainly helps me is you need good sleep. <laughs> that and, does and make I'm you gonna, more happy. And I'm going to sneak in a final question if I can, and it's this. If, if there were one person out there that you would like to help improve their presentation skills, who would it be? Oh, now. Quite a lot of people uh, over the years, people have asked me that. And some, it used to be sports people. <laughs> but right now I'm, I'm trying to think, can you think of any, can you think of anyone that you think is often people um, write to me and they say, you know, they need help, they need help, particularly politicians or um, people in, well, like Donald Trump, <laughs> people that are struggling, um, you know, people, people that don't express themselves well, um quite often sports people i'm trying to think i can't think of one person without you know it sounding you know embarrassing for them um that i would like to say publicly because <laughs> i know quite a few people that do need help privately that i certainly wouldn't mention their name in public oh, on that bombshell esther <laughs> i'll leave <laughs> you guessing <laughs> Can I thank you very, very much for um, uh, being on this edition of the Workplace Happiness Podcast. Your career has been an absolute inspiration from uh, getting up and uh, making the opportunity for yourself in the first instance, then interviewing all those amazingly famous people and having the confidence at such a young age to do that. And then being a producer in the BBC, producing live TV, what could be more daunting? And then having the moment that you're going to leave that and you're going to set up your own business so that you could help lots of people improve their presentation skills. And then to be an award-winning author, an international speaker, it's quite a career and I know will have inspired many people listening to this podcast. So Esther Stanhope, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For more on this podcast, head to workall.co where you can find out how you can get happier at work.